Good morning. So my name is Lydia Choi, and I am an associate pastor at Bethany North. Um, I thought that I would begin by sharing a little bit about myself. So I was, there's a photo coming up, I was born in South Korea, and my family immigrated to Canada when I was eight years old. So this is a photo of my family at our home church in Korea called Yongnak Presbyterian Church, and um, it was taken, I think, like a few weeks before we got on the plane to come to not America, to Canada. And then the next photo is a family of my uncles and aunts who came to the airport to say goodbye because they didn't know when we would be back, when we would be back to visit them again. Um, so we immigrated when I was eight. Um, I grew up attending a Korean immigrant church. So I'm Korean because I was born in Korea. <laughs> and um, at our church, our youth group services were in bilingual. Um, it was also in Korean. It was in English. I had friends who were born in Canada, and they were called bananas because they were white inside, but they were yellow outside. And then I had friends who were immigrants, and they were called falves, fresh off the boat. And then there was me. 1.5 generation Korean Canadian, born in Korea, came to Canada at a young age um, where I was formed in the mix of two cultures, so Korean at home and Canadian at school. And then here is my family. Um, I met David, um, my husband, who is Korean-American. So he's Korean that immigrated to America. And uh, we met at seminary in Vancouver called Regent College. Um, we have three kids. First, the two girls, um, Miriam. They're both like at the same height, and they're both wearing glasses. So it's like hard to distinguish who's who. The, the, uh, Miriam is wearing a white shirt, and she is turning 18 in December. We have Caitlin. She's 16. She started driving. Watch out, Seattle. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she thinks she's good. So I'm telling her, okay, let's be humble. Let's be cautious. She's like, oh, it was, she went on a drive with her instructor. And then she told the instructor, she came back and said, I did such a great job. The instructor thought I was amazing. Oh, but then I almost hit a post, um, what is it? A mailbox. I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so that's, that's my confident Caitlin. And then we thought we were done having kids. But God said, I want you to give you more joy. So he gave us Ben, and Ben is now 10, and he plays every single sport that you can think of, like literally every single sport. And so you can imagine the busyness. And the fun with that is my husband, um, as a Korean American, his parents thought that he shouldn't play any sports and that he should always be studying. So David grew up wanting to play sports, but had to go to like after school study sessions, like SAT schools. So he is definitely living his sports career um, through his son. <laughs> um, and last year, um, there was a president from an organization called Isaac. Isaac stands for Innovation Space for Asian American Christianity. She said that I was a rare breed. I was like, rare breed. Um, and she said, there aren't currently many Asian American women pastors. If there were some, many have moved away from the church to work in nonprofit, or they got more education and are now working in higher education. Well, why is that? 
Many Asian immigrant churches are heavily, heavily rooted in the patriarchal system. So you can imagine what that's like, right? And at a Asian church, I was also personally told um, to resign as a pastor, and uh, which has been my calling since ninth grade in high school. And to be a pastor's wife, they wanted me to support my pastor husband. And in the American church, um, Asian women pastors are double minorities. We are women and Asian. And in many cases, if Asians are given a seat on the leadership table, it's the Asian males, um, pastors that will be offered a seat before or instead of an Asian female pastor. Um, I read a very interesting news article on NBC, and the article reported this. Sorry, I should have put it on the slides for you, but I'll read it for you. It said, while Asian Americans are heavily represented in corporate jobs, their presence drops off significantly at the border of director level, with Asian American women experiencing a particularly severe drop at 80%. 80%. So today, I am grateful to be here. I believe that it is through the many years of work of Ministry of Racial Justice and Reconciliation here at Bethany Community Church that our senior pastor, Scott, who is also a lead pastor at North, invited me, an Asian-American woman pastor, to be a staff at Bethany. So I'm grateful. And today, I'm grateful to be here at Bethany Northeast, and thank you, Silas, for having me. Um, Silas is someone that I go to when I have any questions about a text in the Bible. During our Monday morning um, teaching team meetings, where all the teachers at Bethany gather to study the passage for the next Sunday, without hesitation, we all look at Silas (laughs) for answers if we have questions about a text, and I told my husband several times, he, David hasn't met Silas yet, he really wants to meet Silas, because I've told him, Silas is a walking Bible commentary. <laughs> so you guys are all very blessed to have him here at Northeast. Um, with further ado, let's get into our text. So if you have our Bibles with you, please open to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Or you can follow along on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, Choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. Let us pray. 
God, I nervously stand on this stage today. But yet excited. Excited that we are gathered to worship you. So we pray, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this room, corner to corner, in each person that are here to hear your word. I pray, Jesus, that you will use me. I pray, Lord, that you will open our ears and our hearts to hear you deeply. So speak to us today. And we are here humbly to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago at Bethany North, Pastor Scott invited the congregation to prayer. Um, So I went up to the front and I prayed in um, Korean style. No one did this at our location, but I felt like God was saying, pray Korean style. So you might wonder, what is Korean style of prayer? It is when we all pray out loud, really loud, really loud to a point. And it's not just like Pentecostals that do this. It is also the Presbyterians that do it. So we pray really loud and we call out to Jesus. We say, we say, 주여, 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 like really loud. I, I'm not good at saying it. There's still like Presbyterian roots. But like, um, but yet guys, I'm ordained Methodist. So it's a contrast there. But that means Lord, Lord, Lord. And at a Korean church, there's usually a Korean middle-aged woman that is like really like yelling out her prayers. So you would have to pray louder and louder and louder to hear your own prayers. And in Korean, we call it Tongsang Kido. And I did that at Bethany North all by myself. And poor Pastor Scott had to bear just listening to my prayers. And um, God gave me a word. And the word was testimony that I will be a testimony, that you will be a testimony. We as a church at Bethany will be a testimony, a testimony of stories of racial justice and reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that this is a vision from God. In Acts 6, we learn of growing numbers of disciples almost among the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Hellenists were identified by their language and geographical origin. They were Greek-speaking Jews of the diaspora who had settled in Jerusalem amongst the Hebraic Jews, a native-born and Aramaic-speaking Jews. One commentary mentioned that Hellenistic Jews living in Jerusalem were most likely under some suspicion because of their birthplace, their speech, and being more Grecian than Hebraic in their attitude and outlook. And these attitudes and prejudices um, formed, formed were often carried over into Christian life. The Hebraic Jews spoke Aramaic, and as the descendants and the ancestral language, they probably prided themselves that there was no mixture in their lives. And these Hebraic Jews looked down on the foreign Jews. The racial division of the world had also entered into the early Christian church. But the apostles took the complaints of the Hellenistic Jews seriously. Willie James Jennings explains, something utterly path-breaking was taking place in and with them. I'm going to repeat this. Something utterly path-breaking was taking place in and with them. 
the apostles followed a God who had broken open the binaries of honorable and dishonorable people, criminal and good citizen, master and slave. Their difference and distance were collapsing in a community born of the Holy Spirit and shaped through witness. Let's all begin by all agreeing on Imago Dei. Genesis 1 says that God created humanity in God's image. Hellenistic Jews, Hebraic Jews, you and me, we are all created in the image of God. And this path-breaking that began in Acts 6 has to continue today. As a church, there is so much to learn from Acts 6. But today, I'm going to note three things from our passage. First, there's a sharing of stories. Second, listening and spiritual discernment. Third, continuing God's work. First, sharing of stories. In Acts 6, we learn that the Hellenistic widows, the most vulnerable at the bottom of the hierarchical system, were experiencing discrimination against the ration of food, which is a basic necessity of life. So the Hellenistic Jews complained amongst themselves, also translated as expressed and murmuring. After hearing the murmurs, the 12 gathered all the disciples to act on the problem. Listening is powerful. We cannot hear the murmuring without actively listening. We need to listen to hear. There has been some murmuring in our nation. The murmuring got the attention here at Bethany Community Church. The murmuring of black, indigenous, and people of color experiencing racism. I want to invite you to look around this room. Just look around. Don't be shy. Look. Most of you in this room are Caucasians. I want you to look around one more time. Make eye contact. It's okay. And smile. Do you see any people of color in this room? To the majority in this room, to our Caucasian American friends, has it ever dawned on you that there are people that look different from you in this room? And to the minority in this room, are you quietly blending in in this room? Are we blending in? Church, we must take action and step forward to deeply listen to one another's stories and experiences. In America, there is this invisible wall of politeness, or at least in Seattle, there is this wall of politeness, or we simply don't care. There cannot be restoration without sharing of stories. The murmurings will not be heard. And it is through sharing of stories that we will grow to understand and also develop a level of cultural intelligence. As Sun Chan Rao, author and professor, puts it, to honor the presence of God in different cultures. To honor the presence of God in different cultures. Sun Chan Rao writes this in many colors. He says, 
Cultural intelligence is about changing our view of culture in a way that honors different cultural expressions and acknowledging that God is at work in every culture, not just our own. Cultural intelligence is about developing a biblical view rather than a socially derived view of culture. It is about learning our tainted story so that we can understand where the other person is coming from. It is about creating systemic change that does not move everyone to one, scale, one spot of the scale, but allow for the whole range of scale to be expressed. It is about the communication of identity through story and entering into the story of the other. It is about changing our identity and frame of reference for the sake of the other. It is about changing the cultural environment of our church from hostility to hospitality. To move beyond simple hospitality to a mutual submission. Cultural intelligence is about systemic change. The majority in this room might feel that you don't want to offend a person of color. So you're careful not to ask personal questions. Or unconsciously, you might have become colorblind that you don't see the people of color in this room. And for the, major, for the minority in this room, some of us are very good at assimilating. We have become chameleons or out of embarrassment or even shame, we're not sharing about our culture, upbringings, family, or even the racism that we might have experienced in the past. So I will begin with myself today. I'm going to share a story. Two years ago, in the early stages of the pandemic, coronavirus was called the China virus by our, our former president. Due to that, many of my Asian brothers and sisters experienced racism. Random people would push and punch Asians in the streets of San Francisco, New York, and even here in Seattle. Asian hate crime are on the rise in America. And my family experienced and in Shelton, Washington. When our family went down to pick up our um, new puppy, we stopped by McDonald's in Shelton to use the restroom. And David and I feared for our family when a group of white Americans stared at us. We have never um, experienced this type of fear before. David quickly brought the car to the front of the door for our family to jump in. As parents, David and I had to have conversations about Asian hate with my children, with the teenage girls. We had to teach our teenagers to be aware of their surroundings. I felt nervous and worried when I knew that they were going to cross the streets from Target to Old Navy in Woodenville. And Woodenville is a pretty safe city. During my son's Zoom class, an Indian girl asked my son, slanting our eyes like this, Ben, why does your eyes look like that? This was the first time my son experienced racism. If we keep silent and don't share our stories, no one will know. To be heard, to be seen, to build bridges of trust, we must share our stories and experiences. 
and stand in solidarity with those that are experiencing harm, discrimination, and racism. Because in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, there is no room for racism. There is simply no room for racism. We cannot refuse to listen to the murmurs because we feel like racism doesn't affect us or involve us. No, as long as you're human, created in the image of God, you belong to the big story of restoration. For God so loved the world, my friends. We all know this verse. He gave his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus came to this world as a human being. He died on the cross for everyone. That says it all. For everyone. God sent us as a counselor to live in us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us, in all of us. Whether you're black, white, indigenous, or, or people of color. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Jesus Christ died for you and for me. Secondly, we need to listen and seek spiritual discernment. Verse 1 says, the number of disciples was increasing. I can only imagine the busyness of ministry in the lives of the apostles. The end of Acts 5 notes that day after day in the temple courts from house to house, the apostles never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. In the busyness of ministry, teaching every moment they had, the apostles listened to the murmurs and they paused. The murmurs were murmurs of injustice, injustice done to the Hellenistic widows. The apostles could have simply solved the problem, but they listened to the Spirit and discerned. The apostles knew that their calling was to teach the good news of Jesus Christ. They were able to discern the need for more leaders. So the apostles asked the disciples to choose seven men, sorry, apostles asked the disciples to choose seven men who were full of the spirit and wisdom. The seven men chosen all had Hellenistic names. This is significant because the apostles empowered people who had been neglected, the Hellenistic Jews. They were willing to turn the necessary authority to those who had empathy for the Hellenistic widows and who were able to serve them the best. It was definitely not about who was going to hold on to power, was it? No. The Hellenistic men chosen were full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. Then the apostles empowered the seven men through prayer and laying of hands. Church, this is why we need to be a praying church, a church that disciples. We cannot be just about justice. It's not, we cannot be just a justice-oriented church. This is something that Ted Lewis shared. Um, to be a church that brings racial justice and reconciliation, we also need to be a praying church. In prayer, we need to listen to God and discern what is from God and what is not from God. The enemy is actively deceiving us and distracting us. Actively. 
Friends, my house flooded twice in the two past two weeks. One week was a week before I preached at North on racial justice and reconciliation. Another week was this week, Monday, before I came here at Northeast to talk about racial justice and reconciliation. The enemy is distracting me because he does not want me to share this good news. So I'm going to do some confessing. I confess. I thought the work of racial justice, racial justice and reconciliation didn't involve me as long as I was not a racist. I thought I had done my part. I have unconsciously lived into some of the stereotypes of an Asian model minority. You might ask, what is a model minority? You probably know because Silas is your pastor, but I will still share The modern minority stereotype is a cultural expectation placed on Asian Americans as a group. The Asian Americans will be smart, especially good at math and science. I am not that. (laughs) Wealthy, definitely not that. But also hardworking, self-reliant, living the American dream, obedient and uncomplaining. As individuals who identify as Asian Americans may feel pressure to meet these cultural expectations. But I have learned that I need to do my part in being a voice for the minority. I cannot be a model minority anymore. I need to be sharing my culture, my stories, and my experiences. I had some repenting to do. I had to repent of my ignorance. It had not dawned on me that I was living in a city, a country rooted in systemic racism. Did you know that Seattle City has has terrible roots in racism? In the late 1800s, people of color were excluded from most jobs, neighborhoods, schools, restaurants, and even hospitals. The systems of severe racial discrimination in Seattle targeted not just um, African Americans, but also Native Americans, Asians, Pacific Islanders, and Mexicans. And Seattle has a terrible history of redlining. Redlining was a discriminatory practice that restricted where people could buy or rent residents based on their race and ethnicities. And banks and mortgage companies refused to give loans to um, of properties to people of color in specific neighborhoods that was reserved only for a white American. So you can see in the map here that it's color-coded, and it's color-coded with a grade of security. So green is labeled best. That's like the best place for our Caucasian um, Americans to buy a property. Blue was still desirable. Yellow was definitely declining. And there's red. Red is said hazardous. And this is where a dense population of people of color lived. Even though housing discrimination was banned in 1968, it was not till 1980s. Can you believe that? 1980s, that desegregation was noticeable. This is the history of our city in Seattle. And today, due to redlining, there's a wealth gap between the Americans between the Caucasian Americans and the people of color. If you know Seattle real estate, you will know that, oh, (laughs) in the area colored in green and blue, it has appreciated a lot more in value than the areas in red. 
And as for me, in the busyness of life, raising kids, trying to make ends meet, I realized that I could not live as a stereotype model minority anymore. I learned that racial justice and reconciliation involves me and you, all of us, all human beings. God had to open my eyes and ears to see and to listen. Racial justice and reconciliation is hard work. And it is hard work that as people of God, we all need to do. We cannot live in ignorance because we feel like racism doesn't affect us or involve us. As long as we are human, created in the image of God, you belong to the big story of restoration. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is here. In Revelation 21, John saw a vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell in them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. As we get ready for the new heaven and new earth, we need to do our part in bringing restoration, stories of restoration in racial justice and reconciliation. Thirdly, the apostles continued their work. The word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. At Bethany, we heard the murmurs of injustice and racism played in our nation. And as we continue the work, and I know that at Bethany North, that you are already at work. But those that are not, I want to invite you in the work. As we listen to stories, we need to actively seek God in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us so that we can discern what is from God and what is not. Let's ask God how we can be a testimony of stories of restoration. I'm going to invite you to look around one more time. Look around this room. Do we reflect the demographics of Seattle in your neighborhood? Do we reflect the demo diversity of our children's schools? Do we reflect the diversity of ethnicity that you see in your neighborhood, Fred Myers or Costco? Well, I think this room already reflects the diversity of our city. It's amazing. The work of racial justice and reconciliation is hard work, but we can begin by being a trickle. And at Northeast here, I can tell you are already a trickle. 
I want to share a tweet by Eugene Cho. Um, he is the president of Bread of the World. Um, and he gave me permission to share this with you. And he, he wrote this. We long for justice to run like a mighty river. But more often than not, it begins with a trickle. Be that trickle. Do your part. Start where you're at. Listen to the stories around you. Grow in empathy. Be a good neighbor. Seek justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly. How can we be a trickle? Let's continue by making our church a safe and a welcome place for people of color. Make sure that they are seen, say hello, get to know them, and build relationships. And as for the people of color in this room, we need to do our part in sharing our stories. We can't just assimilate and quietly live our lives. If we want racial justice and reconciliation in our city, we need to actively work towards it. How about at your sons and daughters soccer or baseball or basketball games? I saw a lot of kids in this room. Do you see that immigrant family sitting quietly by themselves on the bleachers? Be that trickle that says, hello, introduce yourself. Don't let language be a barrier. I am sure the immigrants are more intimidated to speak English to you than you are to them. Introduce that family to others. Invite them to your home for barbecue. Take an extra step. Invite them to Bethany Northeast. Listen to their stories. Or at your workplaces, at school, is there people of color, a, per, a person of color who eats lunch but alone while a group of you and the other coworkers go out? If we have high schoolers in this room, Do you see someone that's eating lunch by themselves? And I'm sure that person of color is sometimes eating lunch by themselves in the car. Okay, am I going over time? Okay. (laughs) Take the initiatives and invite your coworker to lunch. Invite them to your friend group. And do you know of an immigrant family that just moved to America? They probably don't have extended family here. And that was my family. Invite them to your home for Thanksgiving, for Christmas. People did that for my family and I. And I remember. I remember. And in your bulletins, um, you received this uh, paper And in our website, Taylor and the team, um, Alicia and Karen, have done an amazing job putting all all these things together. I've never seen any church that does this. It's amazing. There are many ways for you to get involved. Involved to be a trickle. Going back to the prayer time two weeks ago at Bethany North, during prayer that I pray, that there will be a breaking of walls, invisible walls, the barriers that are in the way of racial justice and reconciliation. I didn't share this with anyone, but a congregant texted me on last Saturday, and she texted this. 
She said, "Lydia, I heard a crack. I heard a loud crack sound." And she said, "God led her to pray a prayer of declarative statements about walls cracking down, chains breaking, redemption and restoration pouring forth." God has already started doing the work here in this place. The wall, the barrier in the way of racial justice and reconciliation is cracking down. I am excited for this work. Are you? Are you? Are you? Church, it begins with you. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to continue to move in the work of racial justice and reconciliation. That we will listen, we will share, we will discern what is of God and what is not, and we will act. Church, be that trickle. Do your part. Start where you're at. Listen to the stories around you. Grow in empathy. Be a good neighbor. Seek justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be a mighty river together. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you. For opening our ears to hear the murmurs, to share stories, and to listen to stories, we thank you for the restoration work you're doing in us and through us for racial justice and reconciliation. And you have called us to be reconcilers in our neighborhoods, city, church, workplaces, school, our nation, and the world. May we continue to seek you and to listen to you. God, hear our cries. Our nation needs you. We need you. We are hurting. God, have mercy on us. Have compassion on us. I pray, God, that your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. And may we here at Bethany Northeast be a trickle that seeks justice, love, kindness, walk humbly. Amen.